0: betrayal, uh, we're going to talk about abuses of all sorts, and there's going to be some generalization. We, we, generalizations, we have some young ears in here, and I do not feel the need in any way to be graphic or to be uh, some sort of a shock factor preacher at all, the Holy Spirit has the ability to take a passage that we read today, and you have the ability to think, because you're adults. And even the children in the room are going to be able to think through some ways that they've been sinned against, some ways that maybe they have sinned against some other people. But uh, we're going to talk about some things that are hard this morning because it's uh, things in the area of our life that fit under the category of woundings, woundings. We have all sinned against God and other people, but we have also been sinned against. Some of those painful realities of life, some of the things that we walk with all the days of our life that feel like we just feel like we can't shake have to do not with our sin against God or others, but have to do with other people's sin against us. And this morning, the passage is going to address some of those things. And so uh, we're going to need the help of the Lord to be able to navigate them. So have you ever been lied to? You can participate in this. You've been lied to? I have. The statement, you misunderstood, can add so much pain because you know you didn't misunderstand. The person is defending themselves by saying it was you. Many leaders inflict pain by casting fault on the hearers rather than taking responsibility. And I think all of us, at one point or another, with people who are over us, have been wounded in those sorts of ways. Betrayal is painful. Anybody been betrayed? Somebody you trusted? Who betrayed you? Jacob, the deceiver, gets deceived. And Jacob, Leah, Rachel bear the brunt of Laban's sin. And we're going to see the pain of Jacob is unique to Jacob. The pain of Leah is is unique pain to Leah. And the pain of Rachel is unique pain to Rachel. But it's all pain. And so is there freedom for those who have been sinned against? Is there freedom from woundedness? And there is. But it requires us, in our mind, in our heart, to go to some places that we've not wanted to go, that we have shut down, or we have ignored, possibly even for years. So we're going to need the Lord's help. And I'm going to ask Him to bring it. I pray that there's freedom today. I pray, and I'm just asking, maybe at the end of the service, uh, maybe there's a time to sit down and just to pray. Or maybe tell somebody of something that was done, hurtful. Maybe today is a day a morning for freedom for you. That's the hope. So let's pray.
1: Father, I need wisdom and
0: guidance to be tactful. And Holy Spirit, I'm trusting you to bring these generalizations, a generalization of a thing like pain, pain inflicted on somebody. That's general. But Holy Spirit, you take that and you just personalize it and you walk with us. You take our hand and you lead us to Jesus this morning. That's what you're so good at. It's what you do. I need your help. We need your help. Thank you that your word is so practical. This scene that happened thousands of years ago has been replayed from generation to generation, from culture to culture, down through the centuries. And many of us have found our situations, found ourselves in situations very similar to Jacob, very similar to Leah, very similar to Rachel. And some of us have been laban. So just help us. I trust God that you're going to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 29. The title of the sermon is Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Simple, cut and dry. Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. We're going to start in this passage by looking at some very obvious providential care that's given from God to Jacob. Very obvious providence. Your and mine, our lives, have been marked by both obvious providence of God and non-obvious providence of God. Fellows in the room, the fact that you're married, if you are, is indication of God's very clear and obvious providence. How does that woman love you? <laughs> God. Okay? Obvious providence. Verse 1 through 8 of this passage, chapter 29, give us insight into some very, very obvious providence. Read with me. Put your eyes at the passage. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of his people of the east. And he looked, and he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We're from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Naor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well, and see... Rachel's daughter is coming with the sheep. He said, "Behold, it is still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them." But they said, "We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then the water, then we water the sheep." Isaac apparently sent Jacob away, okay, and his wife sent Jacob away with little or next to nothing. He was alone on his journey to Haran. He meets a group of shepherds by a well and he cries out to them, Where are you from? They say, Haran. And then, voila, not only are they from Haran, they know Laban. And not only is Laban an acquaintance of these men that are here, Laban's daughter, Rachel, is on the way with some sheep to the well. Talk about obvious provision from God. Answered prayers, probably. Probably. As he's walking to find this distant land, to find a future wife, to find the people that he's going to find. And all of a sudden, right before him, here's a group of people. And by the way, they know Laban. And here is Rachel, his cousin and future wife. In 9 through 14, there's an interesting transition because we get to see a little bit of the character of Jacob. We see that Jacob not only finds Rachel attractive, but he begins to try to flex his muscles and get her attention. This has been the case in the history of the world where men try to get the attention of the women that they're attracted to. Now, for some reason, when Jordan and I started dating, I thought that was going to be through basketball. I thought if she could only see me play basketball, she would like me. Okay? Uh, she came one time and she read her book mostly the entire game I had the best game of my life to this day and I still don't think she was that impressed you may be I hit like six threes in a row Okay, one to get us into overtime and then a little humble brag here that's not too humble at all then three more in overtime and we won the game I hit 12 threes in that game some of you may be impressed Jordan to this day is not okay <laughs> now I don't know if Rachel was impressed by this, but I want you to see some of the character of Jacob here in the funny scene and how, again, from week to week, I'm, I'm wanting us to see how practical this is and how real it is even to our experience today. So look at verse 9. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob then kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father, her father's kinsman and that he was Re- Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Now every commentator that I read said that the, they were waiting for the rest of the shepherds to come because they needed help with this huge rock that was over the well. They needed help picking it up. And as soon as Jacob sees Rebekah, this beautiful Ra- Rachel, this beautiful woman, what does he go do? Oh, we, hey, we don't need five guys for this. Kind of untouched a shirt a little bit, goes over here, hey baby, check this out. Picks up this stone, rolls it away, and goes and kisses her, a friendly salutation. This is not a Noah and Allie embrace from the notebook. Okay, this is a friendly salutation, but Jacob is trying to impress this woman with his strength. It's like he's flexing his muscles. It was like the if I can only she can only see me play basketball. He is trying to impress her. Now, unfortunately, we don't know if Rachel's impressed or not, but we see a little bit of the character of Jacob, and it personalizes it for us. It shows us that there is at least some sort of pursuit that Jacob is on with Rachel. It's not simply an arranged marriage without affection. There's going to be, here in a little bit, seen affection. In fact, Leah, when she gets sinned against, she even weeps in the sermon next week because Jacob does not love her as he loves Rachel. There's feelings, there's emotion. It's not just stoic, I'm going to go find a wife, without any emotions tied in. Jacob, we see, really wants to impress Rachel. Rachel goes, runs off, and tells Laban about Jacob. They're excited. Laban is obviously excited that Jacob is now here. This is his nephew, and he's arrived from from the land that he came from. And there's a reunion. There's excitement. And in verse 15-19, through it's interesting because we see an arrangement that ends up playing out totally different from these verses. We see the arrangement is made, there is clarity, there's no misunderstanding here, there's no room for Laban to say, sorry, you misunderstood. There is clear communication from both Jacob and from Laban about what his wages would be, Laban's wages would be, excuse me, what Jacob's... Reward would be for working for Laban. What are the wages going to be? What is the agreement? Verse 15 and 19. Lay your eyes on there and let's read it together. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you're my kinsman, you should, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Rachel was pretty. Leah was not as pretty. We won't call her U-G-L-Y, but she was not as pretty as Rachel. Rachel pretty. Leah, not so much. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Pretty clear, right? Shouldn't be any confusion from Laban's side. Laban said, It's better that I give her, Rachel, okay, to you, then I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him, speaking of the seven years, but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Verse 15, Laban suggests a payment. You shouldn't work for me for free. A laborer deserves his wages. So Laban asks Jacob, what do you want? Laban had means, he had resources, he could provide an adequate payment for the services of Jacob, Jacob comes back and he says, here, here's what I want, I love your daughter, and I want her hand in marriage, Rachel's enough, I want her, no one else, I just want her. Verse 19, Laban clearly agrees. The two parties understand the agreement at the front end of the seven years. I want you in verse 20 to see the power of love. Jacob loved Rachel so much that seven years seemed like nothing. Have you ever been lost in a daydream? The day just flies by because you're just thinking of other things. Maybe your work is not your hobby, and as you're working, you're thinking of your hobby. You're thinking of what you enjoy. Maybe you're thinking about your wife. You're thinking about your husband. You're daydreaming about your son or daughter and the trip that you want to take them on, whatever it may be. Here, Jacob is so in love with Rachel that seven years felt like nothing. Jacob is affectionate for this woman. Affections are a good thing. It's not good, married couples, just to be married and not like each other, not feel things. Commitment is a good thing, But does anybody here want a relationship for the rest of your life where you're just simply committed to each other? Or do you want to actually like each other? You know, we do grace marriage. The point of grace marriage is to try to stir the affections once again for each other. We enjoy each other. We like each other. Go on dates. Kiss. Okay? Those are some good things. Enjoy each other. Think critically about how you can show the other person how you love them. These these are things I say this not as an expert. I'm a pilgrim on the way, like you. Man, there's no man in here that can come to me and say, listen, I'm gonna show you how to be the best husband you can possibly be. I've got it down. I'm learning with you. But here's what I know: I want Jordanized marriage, and I want for you, your marriage, if you are married, I want it to be more than simply you're married and you're committed and things are okay. I want you to like each other. Fortunately, our marriages here seem to be doing okay. Our small group, we have talked through struggles. Our small group has been really open and honest about saying, hey, you know what, we were fighting on the way here. And you know, our small group has got pretty good, you can testify in our small group, we've gotten pretty good at noticing the couples who are fighting on the way. Right? Like, you can just see, they're kind of marching up, they're separated from each other a little bit, and you can just kind of tell, like, you guys are mad at each other. Okay? So it's good to be able to recognize that and be honest about that, but this whole Jacob-Rachel thing, we want that. And I think about James and Carol. I'll put them on the spot. You know what? It looks like you guys like each other. They just seem to like each other. And I pray that the older we get, and if you don't, if, if, yeah, as you're not sitting together, there's their son and grandson, but if you know them, I, I admire that. I admire that because that's what I want for Jordan and I as well as we get older. You see this real love, real affection in Jacob and Rachel. He loves her. She's beautiful. He's trying to impress her. Men, try to impress your wives a little bit. Go out and shoot some hoops. And we see this obvious providence How incredible is it, man, after you have prayed, if you're married, and and see God answer those prayers by bringing your wife into your life, and she actually likes you, and you get married. That's obvious providence. And this is what Jacob is walking in, and we love seasons in our life where there's such obvious providence. It so blossoms in us, just praises of God, we're so thankful, God, it's so obvious what you're doing. And then we go through seasons, other seasons, where it's not so obvious, providence. Russ and Jenny are in a situation where it's not so obvious providence. Is that safe to say? You're like, what the heck is going on? Right? And some of you may be in some seasons that it's not so obvious providence. God, what's going on? So we get to see Jacob walking in the care and the provision of God, and then we get to see Jacob, Rachel, Leah, and Laban, and we get to wonder, is, there, is God doing anything here? And this is what he steps into. A new season. A different season. The seven years are up. Look at verse 21. Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is complete. So Laban gathered together all the people in the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah Zilpah, to his daughter Leah to be her servant and in the morning behold it was Leah and Jacob said to Laban what is it that you have done to me did I not serve with you for Rachel why then have you deceived me the deceiver gets deceived Laban deceived Jacob verse 25 behold it was Leah how devastating a scene. We just heard in verse 20 that he loved Rachel so much that the seven years felt like nothing. And then on the night of the wedding, after the party had raged on and on, and after apparently he got to the point where he was somewhat incoherent in his behavior, if that's the right word, if it's not, then so when he was not that sober, he was brought a wife and it was Leah. Leah. This is the point of betrayal. This is the point of pain. There's an intimacy that happens here that's void of love. And if you ever have been in your life at a point of intimacy that was void of love, you can re- you understand the pain that is inflicted upon you. There is a preciousness about certain kinds of intimacy that this scene is void of. The betrayal is real. The behold, it was Leah moment was there. What do you think Leah felt like seeing Jacob's reaction the next morning? Seeing him so frustrated immediately walking out and going to set things straight with Laban. There's several angles to pain here. There's multi-level, multi-person pain. This is betrayal, deception, manipulation. Jacob's pain. I want you to consider this. Jacob's pain, Leah's pain, Rachel's pain, our pain. Okay, that's the four we're going to look at. Jacob's pain, Leah's pain, Rachel's pain, our pain. He loved Rachel. Seven years, full of daydreams, full of wondering what his life with Rachel would be like. When Laban would send them away with resources, on their way to find land, to build a life with this woman, thinking about it, dreaming about it, joking with her, spending appropriate time with her, just dreaming about a life together. You guys have been there, grown up, thinking about what your life would be like when God brought if you're called to be married, and some of you I realize may not be, but if you're married in here, most of us thought about, dreamed about, wrote about in our journal. Because if you're a man, you journal. If you're a girl, you diary, right? Thinking about it. And here is Jacob deceived. It's Leah? I don't love Leah. What's up? Leah's pain. She was given to Jacob. Jacob. With the knowledge of who Jacob wanted. So, what's she thinking next morning, as was previously stated? She's an unloved bride. There are many unhappy brides in this world who are in a marriage but are unloved. Painful. Honestly, what she feels... Okay, even with the culture intact, different culture, we realize that. But the language used about their feelings help us to see that some of the same emotions that we feel in a different culture, they felt in their culture. He's trying to impress her. Leah conceived in verse 32. And she said, Maybe now, because she conceived, for now my husband will love me. She was desirous of the love of Jacob and it wasn't there. That's pain. Rachel's pain. She lived with the clarity of what her future held. It'd be her and Jacob. Now, she's going to have to share her beloved with her sister. Okay, so Laban launches his daughters into conflict, into betrayal, Although in this scene, they were married, even in the context of marriage, intimate relations without affections for either party, if they're not coming from either party, it births pain in the party that doesn't have the affections. Or pain in the one who is involved in that, who doesn't have the affections coming their way, where it's just motivated by lust. So, any way you slice it, we're, we're, we're dealing with some dicey categories here. There is fallout. When we consider our pain, fourthly, our pain, when you have been sinned against, okay, when you've been sinned against, this is when I'm going to ask that, and try to be as tactful as I can, and ask the Holy Spirit to take some of these generalizations. This is risky business that we're walking in. Okay. Take these generalizations and make them specific. When you've been sinned against, you receive wounds. And they cut deep. And they have the potential to haunt you for a lifetime. The potential. Not that they have to. Many choose to bury wounds in the past. Bury the pain. Ignore it. Maybe it will go away. For many, it's a lot easier to do that than expose it and talk about it. A lot easier. Some victims feel a strong, intense desire to get vengeance on the perpetrator. Others feel guilty for either wanting to forgive, how can I forgive so quickly, or guilty that I cannot forgive, And it's been years. And so guilt and shame and condemnation come in to the victim. And it adds pain upon previously existing pain. This scene with Jacob, Leah, Rachel, and Laban is representative of all sorts of pains and wounds that we walk with in our life. This event goes on to haunt them. Leah longs for the love and the affection. Rachel longs as she, her womb is barren, longs to have a child with Jacob. Animosity with Laban will build. And that's what happens when there is betrayal. There's a wake of damage, whether it's untalked about or just buried, it's there. And something I've been asking for months is how does the cross of Christ help us not only with the sins that we have committed against other people, but those sins and offenses that have been inflicted upon us. Those are the wounds that many of you are walking with. There's fallout. Verse 26-30 to 30 shows us clearly excuses that are made. And excuses are always made with betrayal. It's not my fault, it was yours. Verse twenty one, excuse me, verse twenty-six, Laban said, It's not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete this one week, and we will give you the other in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Interesting fact that I learned just this week. I didn't even know. So Laban got Rachel and then had to work seven years after he got her. So within a week, the two. Now within a week of that happening, it didn't give seven years of buffer to try to work out the details and work through the resentment. Talk about a complex home life. What do you think? Okay. Laban gave his female servant Beliah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. A week apart, he loved Rachel more than Leah. Like these words are for us to say, even even though that was culturally, it's different then. Loving one more than the other. Can you imagine the drama in the household? It's just an awful scene. So Laban, and he served Laban for another seven years. Laban has a lame excuse. Oh, that's not how we do it here. But it was what was agreed upon, Laban. It's what we talked about. You shook my hand and looked me in the eye and said it was going to be Rachel. Can't you imagine a dialogue like that? Well, you can have Rachel too. Just, wait for me, another seven years. Are you kidding me? Another seven years? Joyfully I served you all these years for Rachel, and you have the audacity to say to me another seven? Now clearly that's not there. I'm a little ad-libbing here. Jacob has to do it another seven years because of Laban's deception. Leah had to play second fiddle. Now isn't it interesting, I find this so interesting, that there's no consequences immediately given to Laban. Jacob has to serve his own consequences. The consequences of Laban's sin. How frustrating. Laban, there's no consequence for you. You get a reward of my service for your deception against me. You get the reward of getting me free labor for your daughter. Jacob has to serve a sentence for somebody else's sin. And the, somebody else gets the reward. So there's a lot of ashes here. Is there anything going to rise from them? Yes. Out of the ashes we rise. What does Jacob do? We're, we're going to see some redemption here. We're going to see some help. What does Jacob do? Does he run? Does he hide? Does he retaliate immediately? Or does he move forward the best he could? His actions here are going to show us, it's going to point us to Jesus, and it's going to help us immensely this morning. Some of you, the wounds that you've been walking with for years, this morning is your morning. You've wondered, how will I ever get past this? How will I ever forgive this person? And this morning, this is it. This is it. Jacob served the sentence for the wrong that was committed against him. He takes responsibility for the sins of someone else. It's a foreshadow of Jesus yet again. A pointer to Jesus. We're going to consider God's unusual providence. And Jacob only married Leah because he was saved. But listen to this. Listen to me. Leah had a son. Her womb was open. And in spite of the unusual arrangement... She had a boy named Judah. And the line that would eventually lead us to Jesus would not come through Rachel, his beloved. It would come through Leah. The purposes of God, through the deceit, through the ashes, would roll on. Judah happened to be the son through whom the Messiah would come. In the tragedy, through the tragedy, would come the one who would wipe away the tears from the eyes of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. The very one who today is comforting this crew, comforting this dysfunctional bunch, the very one who, as I said last week, did not and will not outsource the wiping away of tears, is the very one who's eternally comforting them. This tragedy was a tragedy. But like God always does, He has a purpose in it and through it. It was through Leah, it wasn't through Rachel, that the promises of God would come through. From one angle, the sins that were committed in this story from Laban that he inflicted upon his daughters and upon Jacob, they seemed so arbitrary, pointless, purposeless. The week after, I'm sure there were questions in the house of why. The things have to be the ways that way they are. From another angle, though, we see God is working redemption through the story. So what about us? We could be prone to say, well, of course God is working something together in Jacob, Leah, Rachel, and Laban, but not through me and my life. What do I matter? Of course, the patriarch Jacob And the purposes of God to bring about a Messiah, God is intimately involved with that. But the Messiah has already come. What is God doing in my pain? What about the arbitrary sin that was committed against me? Is there any purpose? The tears you cried, the questions that you threw at the Lord and others, the pain that is buried. And talked about to no one? What about me? So I want to offer to you some freedom this morning. But it's going to hurt for a second. And I want to take you to the bottom. At the very bottom. And it's going to feel painful. Because it's going to feel like it's adding insult to injury. It's going to feel like, well I've been sinned against and now I've got to think about this. And Hang with me. I want you to go back to the place of pain. Your, behold, it was Leah moment. Now you may identify with Leah, or you may identify with Rachel, you may identify with Jacob. You may be the Laban who inflicted so much pain. Go back to the moment of betrayal or deceit. The sin against you is horrific. And it violated God's moral will. It will be dealt with. God knows, and He knows how to take care of it. He is not sitting idly by. This is risky. I'm I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to help you receive this. Okay? The power to forgive, the power to forgive the people who have sinned against you. This is where we hang with me. The power to forgive the people who have sinned against you requires you. It requires you to see yourself in the face of those horrible people. Hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. It requires you to see yourself in the pain of your abuser in the face of your abuser. No sin ever committed against you is as large as the sins that you have committed against God. This seems like I'm just... ah. No sin ever committed against you is as large as the sins that you have committed against God. Those violent and evil sins that were committed against you, they have to become a window for you. They have to become a picture. They have to become a symbol. You must see those sins that brought you so much pain as your window into what you have done to God. Our sin against God is greater than any sin ever committed against us. How is this freedom? Let me ask you a question. Would you ever take the punishment for the sins that have been committed against you? For that abuse? I mean, not only would you have to deal with the pain and the shame of being mistreated, but would you willingly expose yourself to the world, what happened to you, and then somehow take the place of the abuser and feel the double shame of not only being the one sinned against, but then... Saying, I'm going to take the place of that person and then having the world look at you as an abuser or as a cheat or as a liar or as a betrayer. Why would anyone do that? The abuser clearly does not deserve anything for you from you. Does an abuser who have inflicted so much pain for you, do you owe them anything? No, you don't. The world would look on you and you would feel double shame if you were to do something that audacious. The shame of being the victim and the shame of being the abuser. Would you come up with a plan that included the innocence and purity being counted to your abuser? Come up with a plan of having the world look at your abuser and applaud their wonderful, beautiful, righteous life? No. No. Would you willingly take the shame of being counted as the abuser? So here's the offer. Freedom. Okay? God the innocent party God the innocent party sent His very own Son to a world full of people who sinned against Him. We are the perpetrators. We are the violent. We are the abuser. God owed us nothing owed us nothing, yet Jesus came for us. The party who was a sinned against, he was sinned against, came to be counted as the sinner to die in the place of sinners, carrying their shame so that sinners could be counted as righteous and be set free. Now, if you understand God's work for you, Your sin against Him. The power to forgive those who sinned against You. To release them to the Lord. And say, God, I trust You with that perpetrator. I trust You with the Labans in my life. And I trust You with the Jacobs or the Leahs or the Rachels. Those who have betrayed me. God, I trust You and I'm going to release this situation to You. power to forgive those who sin against us is directly related to our understanding and our experience of God's forgiveness of us. And if you understand how mighty God's forgiveness is of you, if you press into that, your hands can loosen a little bit. You can start to actually feel forgiveness in time even for those who have sinned against you. And as Jacob served the sentence for Laban's offense, and Laban received a reward even though he was the perpetrator, So Jesus served the sentence for our offenses. He carried our shame even. So we have an opportunity this morning to worship Him. The one who knows, the one who cares, the one who walked up a hill in Calvary and not just died for your sins, but carried your shame. And He was exposed as one who was counted not only as a victim, but as a perpetrator. And in that work, you can feel forgiveness, experience forgiveness, walk in freedom, let the past be in the past, and walk in newness of life. Even if you've been forgiven, even if you're a child of God, you can leave that pain, you can forgive that person, you can walk away with shame because of what Christ has done for you. It's there. Hank, you can go ahead and come forward. i ask the Holy Spirit to do... His work, and to apply these things to our heart. Deception doesn't have to have the final word. Laban doesn't get to define Jacob's life, Rachel's life, Leah's life. The God of the universe had a plan. And redemption did come. And there's freedom for you this morning. Because of that redemption, let's pray. Father, I ask for help. Holy Spirit, come and take these. And I try, I, I attempt every week to be as faithful as I can, not only to Your Word, but to appeal to my heart and the hearts of the people in here to respond to You. That may we may be palpable. That would be we would be able to be formed and shaped by Your Word. That would be changed from living the way that we have lived into walking with You and trusting You and being obedient to You. And I know in this room that there are people who have been who have been sinned against. They've experienced the brunt of the pain that comes from situations just like we see in Genesis chapter 29. I know all of us in this room have cried. Cried out to You. We've tried to forgive, tried to move on. but help us just to come to You. And just to trust, just to trust. Help us to know what we've been forgiven of. Holy Spirit, just point us to Jesus. I trust, Heavenly Father, that You're going to work. In Jesus, it's Your name we pray. Amen.